You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Well, I would like to welcome you all again to another episode of In Flow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Stacy Miller. Stacy Miller graduated with her Bachelor's of Art from Defiance College and her Master's degree in Mental Health Counseling from Bowling Green State University. She's a licensed professional clinical counselor in the state of Ohio. She has 12 years experience in counseling field. She specializes in helping adults who are struggling with anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, phobias, um, perinatal loss, perinatal postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, and grief. Stacy, thank you for making time for us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am really looking forward to diving into your experience, um, first of all, as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, because I haven't spoken to a lot of mental health professionals that have gone out on their own to create their own private practice. And so I'm, I really look forward to what we can learn from you in your experience um, today. So tell me a little bit about kind of your path that brought you up to that point when you said, hey, it's... I'm gonna I'm gonna do this on my own. What were what led you to that? And then we'll dig into what that experience really was like for you then. Okay, yeah. So I worked for um, a private practice in Finley, Ohio, for a year, and a private practice in the Columbus area for two years. And how the private practice model works is typically um, the practice provides administrative work, insurance billing. Um, some of like the background work and then the therapist simply meets with clients and then the, the therapist gets like a percentage of what comes into the practice. Okay. So as I started getting into the counseling field, I realized that I was kind of interested in learning about billing insurance companies and interested in the administrative work and interested in a lot of the background stuff. Yeah. So um, I started researching like, what does it look like to start your own private practice? How does it work for tax purposes? And I realized that a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of those things are things I'm naturally passionate about anyways. So I took that leap and started my own private practice Okay. Um, about 10 years ago. Okay. So you, you're starting out, you're practicing as a counselor as a job, right? You're doing this for someone else's practice. And then you start to get curious about the administration part uh, side of business. And it sounds like you were really attracted to that side. Yes. Yeah. I didn't mind calling insurance companies. I didn't mind troubleshooting and understanding how CPT codes work and how 
healthcare works and just different business strategies and marketing and all of those things that I started to observe were happening in the background. They were things that I thought naturally I've enjoyed doing. Interesting. I, I haven't spoken to a lot of practitioners who say, you know what, I really like the administration side of business. Most of the yeah. time, you know, like I, I talked to a chiropractor yesterday who said, you know, I went to school to be a chiropractor. I didn't go to school to run a business. Right. Yes. And so there's a lot to learn in setting up your own business. Yeah. What's tell us about a time. Was there a time when you kind of felt like, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I doing this? And is it worth the effort? Yes. Well, at the beginning, it was a lot of doing a lot of research and just consulting with the right people. Okay. Even the getting a tax ID set up, an MPI number, all these like, details I didn't know anything about. So I had to teach myself how to do a lot of right a lot of that. But then I started to feel better about it the more I would reach out to professionals that um and invest in professionals that do that for a living. Sure. So I would consult with different people that specialized in that. And then I started feeling better about starting the business and the ins and outs of how that worked. So you had a little bit of support to yeah. help you through this new it's new territory, right? Learning how to actually set up the business. So how did you find your mentors or coaches or your support uh, for the business side of things? Um, a lot of online searching. Um, a lot of, there's like, I'm on several Facebook groups for, there's, I'm on one for insurance credentialing. I'm on some for like more of the clinical side of therapy. I'm on some for, um, there's one called Simple Pro- Simple Profit for private practices, and it's a it's a great free platform to just get advice from people from all over the country on um, how to get some of these basics set up. Okay, because there's yeah. a lot of of to, to get set up right for a business. Oh yeah, tax ID number, MPI number, um, getting a CPA. Mm-hmm. Um, finding a practice management software that works, figuring out how you're going to do records, finding office space. Yes. Furnishing the office space. Yeah. As you were moving in this direction and you knew that you wanted to open your own business, you're getting the support you need. Tell me about your timelines. Did did you think that this was going to happen eventually or did you have aggressive timelines? How did you manage those expectations? Yeah. So that kind of leads me into what I want to talk about later about risk. Okay. Um, so I think it got, I got to a point in my career where I realized like that the cost associated with the risk was worth it. Okay. And I had to just like take that leap of faith and, um, go for that risk. Cause I felt like there was that, this dream that was being stirred up mm-hmm. and, um, I think I just felt like the sense that like that was the right time. We didn't have kids at the time um, that that was the correct time to take that risk and see if it, or else I always would have wondered if it would have worked out. Right. So you had to do kind of like a gut check. Like yes, I've, I've got basically. these, I've got these support services or people that can help me do this. I've got this dream. I've got the skills, right. To deliver the services. And so you yeah. saw this coming together. Yes. So, Go back to me for me again to the timeline. Just how did you manage the expectations about how quickly this was going to get going, how long it would take? What yeah. was that like? 
Well, I remember at the time, I think they said typically it takes like six to 12 months to really build up a full client load Okay, in private practice business. And um, I tried to really find a niche. I tried to research where in Columbus area in the suburbs of Columbus, where it was it saturated with therapists and where were there some like highly populated areas with just not many therapists there. Okay. So I found kind of a spot that met all those, that criteria. And I think it was a timing piece and a, um, environment piece and a location piece, but I was pretty, I started to get booked within about eight to 10 weeks. Okay. So the timeline went quicker than I thought. Sounds like it. It was exciting, but then it was also like kind of overwhelming to balance all of it. I bet so. Right. Yeah. So at that point, did you, um, take one of those risks and we call it leverage, right? Going out and, and, and getting leverage to help you with some of the administrative work, or did you just kind of take that all on for yourself on your own for a while? Um, I took it all on my own for a while. Um, I hired my first employee maybe three years ago. Okay. Um, so I was just on my own individually, the only therapist at the practice for seven or eight years. And then I hired my first employee because I was full. Okay. Consistently. Um, and I found someone that I trusted and someone that also had similar dreams as I did. So I hired her and kind of, she started building up her own client load. And then, um, just a few months ago, I hired my second employee who also has that similar vision and dreams. And she is pretty much full now too. Okay. So you brought on two additional practitioners. Yes. yes. Do you also have admin support? Yes. Okay. So um, we have an admin assistant named um, Taylor. She's a virtual assistant. So she works virtually, but she is available to answer phone calls. And when new clients call in, she's like the first point of contact. Okay. Um, which is great. Right. Now, at what point, and because this is a, a conversation that comes up a lot with entrepreneurs, right? Especially when we're beginning, we we often don't have a lot of money, right? And we're trying to make enough money to pay somebody else to do some of the admin work for us. At what point did you say that it was right for you to, to pay for these admin support services? Hmm. Well, I think what I learned over time was that it was an investment, and even things like, you know, paying more to get like an office space that felt more calming to clients, that that environment affects business and it affects therapy and it affects people feeling emotionally safe. Right. So when it came to hiring administ- more administrative roles, like the admin assistant, I knew there'd be a cost to it, but I thought it was an investment that was worth um, investing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you uh, are looking at expenses at, from the lens of, is this just an expense to keep things going? Or is this an investment that's going to take me further down the road? Yes, yes. And in our, in the office space I'm in, like, we don't have to hire someone 40 hours a week to sit at a front desk. Like that investment wouldn't make sense for the size of our practice at this point. It may in the future. Sure. Investing in a virtual assistant was just a perfect option. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So you take the risk, you hire the, the admin. What would happen to your business if you did not have that admin support? What would that be like for you? Hmm. 
Well, I think what would happen is we would miss a lot of new clients. We'd miss referrals. We'd miss that go-to person. And we mainly would be valuable through email. Okay. Which then we'd miss out on, we basically would miss out on business. Yes. Okay. Excellent. So let, let's talk a little bit about the financial side then. Uh, how intentional are you? Do you use your profit and loss statement to make decisions about your business? It sounds like you, you're very intentional. Yes. So um, for the financial side of things, each month I kind of go through what's the revenue coming in? What are the expenses? Um, how is the tax portion working? Okay. And then each quarter and each quarter I do something similar. Mm-hmm. And then I try to think through intentionally, like what does the practice need right now? Great. What investment needs to happen? So sometimes that might be, I want to invest in getting like some continuing education that really helps me as a therapist. Other times it might be, I want to invest in a new laptop for telehealth services. Sure. Other times it might be, I mean, it kind of changes from quarter to quarter, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of how I go about the business side and the financial side. And and the planning that you do with using your profit and loss statement and and being intentional about this, was there ever, again, this is a challenge um, that I see a lot, right? So we're, we're new entrepreneurs. We're trying to take on everything. Um, and everything, there seems to be so much, right? So we end up being very reactive um, yeah. in our business rather than proactive. Was there a time for you where you felt like you were being reactive and then yeah. you had to get out in front of it? Or were you always just kind of out in front of it because you were intentional from the, from the get-go? Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into like what I was saying about failing. Okay. How. One thing I've learned in business is that it's okay to fail sometimes and it's okay to um, do things imperfectly because looking back on those failures, those were the experiences where I learned the most. Mm -hmm. And if I wouldn't have had those failures, I may not have learned those lessons that I learned. Sure. So there definitely has been time where, where I felt like I failed. There's been times where I've had regret with different decisions I've made. There's times where I wish I would have done things differently as a business owner. Um, but also those are the things that if I can take a step back and look at those things critically and reevaluate, how can I change this moving forward? Those are the things I've learned the most more than like reading a book or something like that. It's yeah. from experience. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's go into this conversation then about risk. Okay. It sounds like again, this is something you're intentional about. Um, so how do you approach risk as it comes up either personally or within your business? Hmm. Well, I try to use wisdom and calculate the risk. So um I I specialize in anxiety and what they're finding with anxiety is the more you avoid anxiety, you're actually reinforcing it. Okay. But when you could face it in like small wise steps, it actually helps you overcome anxiety. There's like a whole treatment behind that. But um, I try to almost use that in the business in terms of like, if I, if I don't take any risks, then none of, none of my dreams are going to happen. But if I can take small baby steps and take one risk at a time, 
gradually over time, those dreams could come true. Yeah. And I could fail or which, like I said earlier, can end up being learning experiences, but I don't want to look back and wish that I would have pursued a dream. Okay. Yeah. So um, you mentioned wisdom. What does wisdom mean to you? Hmm. I think wisdom is like one of, one of the things my husband and I um, really have learned throughout our life is that whenever there's like a major decision to be made, we try to take at least one night to like, think about it sometimes longer. Okay. So when I think of wisdom, I think of things like taking time to really process small and big decisions and not making them impulsively. Mm -hmm. I think of that in terms of wisdom. Um, I think of just like experiences create wisdom. The more you experience, the more wisdom happens. Um, Just asking questions to other people that have gone through similar things or like asking people their story. I think a lot of wisdom can be gained from just like sitting down and hearing people's stories and what they've been through. Yeah. Well, that's the whole purpose for this, this podcast, right? Exactly. Is to gain wisdom from the experiences of other entrepreneurs. Yeah. Can you give us an example of something that um, was a risk that you took? Maybe it worked out for you the first time. Maybe it didn't, but kind of so that we can see how this wisdom applies for you. Mm. I have a few that I'm debating between. Um, okay. I think, well, from, I'll start with like a business one. So I think from a business model standpoint, a lot of practices try to get a network with all the insurance companies. Okay. Which is okay. And that works for some businesses, but like I took a risk and decided I'm going to try to get in network with the insurance companies that make the practice feel valued and that reimburse accordingly. Okay. So I took this risk where I decided to only from the start get paneled with insurance companies that fit the criteria, knowing that I would lose clients from coming in right. with other insurance companies. Um, and I mean, the, the risk ended up working out. And then we still kind of have a similar business model now. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you decided on what criteria you were going to use for insurance companies. Because oftentimes, and tell me if I'm wrong with this assumption, but my assumption is that a lot of people in your position would say, how many insurance companies can I partner with? Because the more insurance companies I partner with, the more referral networks I have, correct? Yeah. Yeah. This kind of works. Yeah. Okay. So you made a choice to say, I'm not just going to go after anyone who says that they're an insurance company and, and can reimburse me something and, and give me some referrals. You said, wait a minute, the, these are, this is the criteria of an insurance company that will work with my practice right. so that your, their values are aligned with your values. Cause ultimately insurance companies are running their own business. Exactly. So I wanted to like align with insurance companies that I've had good experiences with. Exactly. Yeah. So again, it's one of those decisions that you made that probably avoided a lot of hassles, right? Was there ever a time where you had more of these insurance companies that weren't exactly aligned with you? And what was, what was that experience like? Well, it just was a lot. It was, it's the concept of like, 
work smarter, not harder. Like when you get in, I think when you get a network with everything, some insurance companies, like there's just lots of denials that happen or lots of headaches and time consuming, like resubmitting claims and things like that Mm -hmm. where, um, I just noticed there's patterns where some companies that happen with more than others. Okay. And I took note of that. So then I just tried to transfer into specific companies that weren't as time consuming and weren't as much of a hassle. Yeah. Well, and think about, I'm thinking about how that ties back to our earlier conversation about hiring on admin, right? Yeah. If if you wouldn't have made that choice, like if you would have just left it open to any insurance company that's willing to partner with me, then now you're going to need admin to follow up with all of those claims, reclaims, whatever hassles might come with that. Right. You have to pay another person to do all that. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a really good example of using wisdom, aligning values with the the vendors that you're working with, with your own organization, and how that is minimizing then your need, at least at this point, for additional admin because it is aligned. Yes. Yes. What was there any downside to that? We've just talked about the upsides, but was there any downside to that decision? Well, I mean, ultimately we're, we're losing referrals of some insurance companies that where like a client will go onto the insurance company's website and search by zip code and we're losing all those clients, but it goes back to like, what is your dream? Because my dream isn't necessarily to have a 30 person practice, right? That's okay. And some people have that dream and that's fine, but like, I don't, that's not what I foresee. Okay. So we don't need that many referrals coming in. Like I'd rather just be um, intentional about working with the right companies. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your dream then. What is the dream for your business? Hmm. Um, I think my biggest dream and my vision for Stillwaters is that Each client that walks into the office leaves feeling emotionally safe, feeling that it's been judgment-free, feeling that they've been heard and that they've been understood, and that basically we just facilitate clients having a safe place to like work through their mental health, Mm -hmm. and that the therapists that work here and myself and um, the administrators, like we just facilitate that basically. And we take a step back and just like facilitate that environment happening. Right. Okay. So that's your, your dream. Um, how close are you to your dream now? Is it, are, is it already realized? Is there room to grow? I think both. I feel like it's happening now. I don't know what the future holds. My husband and I have talked about that a lot. Like what, what is our long-term dream for Stillwaters? Like we have potentially a dream of like um, buying our own office space um, long-term um, or the practice could grow and we could have lots more therapists. We're, we're not really sure. Um, but I, going back to wisdom, I've kind of learned like for me, it's taking one step at a time and seeing what doors open and close. Yes. And not getting 10 steps ahead. Sure. 
and just looking at, okay, what's the next door? Is this door opening? Is this door closing? Or do I need to take a step back and be still and kind of just process and wait? Mm-hmm. I, I I like that perspective because uh, I obviously I talk with my clients all the time about what's your short-term goal, what's your long-term goal. And we have this conversation a lot. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be a year. You know, I get a lot of, Mary, I don't even know where I'm going to be a year from now. How do I know where I'm going to be three, five, ten years from now? Right. Um, and, and I agree with that. I, I've experienced the same thing for myself. Like my, the business plan I wrote for myself last year didn't, couldn't have anticipated the opportunities, the doors that opened for me this year. Right. And so, um, if, let me ask you, so what is the purpose then of having that long-term plan for your business? Do you use that? The long-term plan? Well, I think it's kind of like, when I think of a long-term plan, I go back to, it's letting yourself dream and have unlimited possibilities. Yes. So you kind of like think through, okay, something's stirring in me. Is there something long-term that like, whether it happens or not, I could see being a possibility. Sure. And then you have that in the back of your mind and you kind of take that step back and wait and see what doors open and what direction that path seems to take. Yeah. That's very similar to the the work that I do, do with my clients then, because again, I agree. Like I don't, I don't yeah. know where I'm going to be a year from now. Yeah. Um, and a lot of us don't, unless we're, we're in that rhythm. And honestly, if we're in that rhythm, what do you need a plan for? You're already in the rhythm. Right. <laughs> so so uh, here's my take on the long-term plan is, is the importance of having a vision, that everything yeah. that I'm doing is moving me towards something. And it's not the the what or the house, definitely not the house. It might be the what. It might be here's the kind of impact that I want to have through my business yeah. um, moving forward. But it, it it could be up to that big why. Like, what is my big why? Um, so that I have something that continues to pull me forward in a particular direction. Because without yeah. it, then I'm kind of all over the place. I like this for a minute. I like that for a minute. And then over here, oh, wow, I didn't even know this was a possibility. Yeah. So, so I like the long-term plan to say, here's, here's my big why, or here's what I want to, here's the impact that I want to have on others through my business. And then yeah. come back to, if that's where I want to go, what is, what is a short-term outcome that I want? Um, and in fact, I was just talking about to another client about, you know, breaking that year-long plan down then into quarterly plans so that we're really just working on one quarter at a time. Because that's a smaller piece of time, we can pivot. So when new doors open or close during that quarter, then we can go into quarter two with that information in mind and adjust accordingly, all the while keeping our eyes on that long-term plan. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so... Tell me then, let's talk about what you do. The business side, we've, we've talked about a lot. So tell me more about what you do. Who's your ideal client and what is the biggest challenge then that they are experiencing? So I specialize in a lot of things. Um, one of our newer specializations that we, all three of us have been trained in is um, perinatal and postmortem mood and anxiety disorders and we work with women who've gone through infertility issues, miscarriage, um, IVF, just like um, postpartum depression, anxiety, postpartum OCD, all of those kind of things. But basically, 
it depends what the presenting issue is in terms of what we do. Sure. Um, my passions are working with anxiety, OCD, and postpartum issues. But I do specialize in other things too. Sure. Um, but basically, we meet with a client for an intake session. We hear what their presenting issue is. We create that safe place like I talked about earlier. Then we create what's called a treatment plan where we have objective goals that we work toward. Okay. Treatment modalities that we use. And then we meet for X number of sessions until those goal progress is being made toward those goals. Okay. Um, but some of it, honestly, like there's been some research that's um, come out that people with anxiety and depression, a lot of it can come from just repressing emotion and holding emotions in over a long period of time. Yeah. So sometimes I found with counseling, it's just having a safe place for people to just get things out and not feel judged. And, it be an, um, an unemotionally involved third party and confident, right. the confidentiality piece and all of that. It's interesting. Um, th- there seems to be something about having a witness to us processing, especially if it was trauma, right? Or And most of the time there's going to be some form of trauma at the root of these, the yeah. disorders that we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? That's that's my observation that I feel like I myself um, make better progress when I'm talking it out with someone else versus just trying to process it myself. Like I've got the tools, right? I know how to coach myself. <laughs> I know what I should be doing. But sometimes I just see a, a significant difference when I'm doing that in the presence of someone else. Yes. So going back to hearing people's stories. So when I first came into the field, there was a seasoned trauma therapist that I was friends with. And she had like, I'm thinking 25, 30 years experience as a trauma specialist. Okay. And I asked her, I said, what is your, what do you think from your perspective is the most important part of trauma work? And she said, she believes that the key part of trauma work is clients having a safe place to simply share their story. Okay. So it wasn't this like really intense treatment modality. It wasn't this like really detailed. It was that relationship, that therapeutic relationship and that person feeling safe enough to share their story that maybe no one else has ever heard before. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the judgment free zone, I think is the, key criteria, right? For that safe space. Um, And then of course, a listener who is listening from the client's perspective, not from their own, right? Right. It's a totally different kind of listening. Yes. Yes. How would you describe the difference? Because sometimes I struggle with trying to explain the difference of listening with a friend or, you know, a trusted person in my inner circle versus the listening that I get um, from a trained professional. Well, I think we're neutral in the sense of like, it doesn't matter our beliefs or emotions or like all of that we put to the side. And when we're in in this office, like we are simply a safe place for people Mm -hmm. and we stay neutral and we try to really just like walk through struggles with people. Um, Where I think if it's like a friend or family, like, you're naturally emotionally involved. True. So you're not as objective. You're not as like, you're not going to really sit and process through your responses or you're not trained in how to response 
Right. Um, and then that's, I mean, the other difference is just continuing education and the training that we've done is another sure. distinct difference. Sure. Because most of us specialize in a certain area. There are therapists that are generalists, but most people are known as a specialist in a certain content area. So they've been through hundreds of hours of training in that specific topic. Sure. Okay. So the, the listening, the space is key to the therapeutic therapy that you're, you're delivering. So take us to the, the other side, because if, someone is listening to this and they are still on that front side of the trauma. They haven't found uh, someone like you who could create that space for them, that safe space for them to process their emotions. What is, what is there to look forward to on the other side? Because sometimes like that, that wall of uh, there's just too much here. I'll never get through all of this. Um, And I, I can't, see down the road, like there's really any value or any, any payoff for me to go through all of this hard work. Yeah. So kind of like what's the end goal? Yeah, exactly. What do, what do we get out of doing all of this work? Yeah. Well, I think it depends on the presenting issue for some presenting issues. I tell clients therapy may not be a cure, Okay. but our goal is to create your symptoms becoming manageable. Okay. Because that's what brings most people into counseling is that they feel like their level of functioning is not manageable. Right. And that every day is like a struggle or a battle. Right. So some of it's not like, there may not be like a perfect end goal, but just getting to that manageable place can be healing. Um, And then also the end goal is the long-term goal of counseling is that you learn tools and techniques that you can use on your own in your everyday life. Sure. So therapy is not meant to be a lifelong commitment. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. Right, right. And again, a lot of it depends on the presenting issue and what's bringing the client in. Sure. So from your perspective, you, you see the clients who get over whatever barriers they may have had up until finally connecting with you. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that space. So again, maybe somebody's listening to this and they're they're feeling the the impact of their the trauma or or whatever they're experiencing right on their day to day life, and it's getting to a point, some sort of breaking point where something's got to be done. Like I'm either I'm so uncomfortable being uncomfortable, or yeah. you know maybe a family member or something has has kind of said, hey, you got to go to therapy or whatever. What is it that you, is there anything that you could say to those people who are kind of on that fence that could help them fill that gap between I'm on the fence, I think I I need or want therapy, but I don't know where to turn next. How could you help them fill that gap? Well, my first thought is take your time and do research on the therapist you choose because I think one one thing that holds people back from starting therapy is they feel like they're not going to find someone they connect with or they're not going to feel comfortable with a therapist. Or, But the, one of the sites I wanted to recommend is a site called um, psychologytoday.com. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's national. Um, you can go on that website. You can search by your zip code. And you can choose therapists based on what they specialize in. Um, whether they're doing telehealth or in-person sessions, what insurance companies they accept, um, different treatment modalities they use. 
And then they'll, then you'll see bios. Okay. So you can really take your time and look at different therapists and figure out who you think you'd connect with before you even meet them. Sure. So my first thought is look into something like that. And then, um, Another thing you could do is see if anyone in your support system has done therapy before and maybe they've had a positive experience or they have a direct referral of someone they, they recommend. Okay. Um, if you feel more comfortable, most therapists now um, during the pandemic have started offering telehealth sessions. So if that feels less intimidating to you, you can do your first session through telehealth in the comfort of your own home and insurance companies as of now, we're still covering okay. sessions, just like the same as in-person sessions. Um, but I think just giving it a chance and knowing that there's a lot of research that backs up the fact that therapy is beneficial. Yeah. And it's also beneficial with a combination of medication management. So you could kind of go that route in addition to and how do you how do you support your clients with that medication management side? Because you're not doing the prescribing, right? Right. So we don't specialize in medication management. Okay. What we do is we refer people to either their primary care doctor or psychiatrists. Okay. So psychiatrists specialize in medication management. So and also on that same site, you can search for psychiatry too. Okay. And then that, that would be their focus is finding, first they would do what's called a medication evaluation and see if you'd even be a good candidate for medication. And then if they feel like you are, then you could ask them questions like, you could share your concerns about medication or your questions or fears with it. Right. And then they would take over the medication piece. Okay. We do more of the therapy, talk therapy piece. So one of the barriers that I'm hearing is just the fear that the therapist that I get won't get me, right? Or there there won't be that connection. Are are there any other barriers that really keep people from taking that step to getting yeah. into therapy? Um, I think another big barrier is there's there's kind of a um I guess therapists have a reputation as being expensive. Okay. But what a lot of people don't realize is with your insurance, there's something called, you have your medical benefits, but most plans, not all, most plans also have mental health benefits. Oh. So if you call your, if you take your insurance card, call the phone number on the back of your insurance card, you can ask, what are my mental health benefits for outpatient behavioral health? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, Hey, you have, you, you have a $20 copay. Okay. Where you have, and then you can verify with that therapist too. Sure. Because it might not be as expensive as you realize. That's good to and know. Some, some agencies have sliding fee scales. Some agencies have like payment plans. Um, so costs can be a barrier. Um, what do you think of other barriers? Maybe timing. Like maybe it doesn't feel like the right time. Sure. Um. How do you, how would one know? Do you have any, could you give us any advice? Like, what is it that we should be looking for or feeling for in ourselves to say now might be the right time? Yeah, I would just start, I would encourage people to start thinking about whatever it is that you're struggling with. Is it affecting your daily functioning? Okay. Like, are you living the quality of life that you want to live? 
Um, or do you feel like whatever that mental health symptom is, is affecting your ability to be present in relationships or be present at work or be present with family? Or if, if you feel like you're just battling with something, like those are all indicators that it would be a good time to do even just an initial consultation with a therapist. Great. Yeah. Uh, one other barrier that popped into my mind as you were describing that is um, it, just a social stigma, right? That that therapy means that I'm weak or therapy means that I'm crazy. Yeah. What, what can you tell us about those kinds of uh, stereotypes or myths uh, to help us, again, break down these barriers? Yeah. So the number one the last time I checked, the number one presenting issue that brings people to counseling is anxiety and worry. So I think what happens is like, just for example, with anxiety, a lot of people in the U.S. struggle with anxiety, mm-hmm. but people don't talk about it because of the stigma. Right. So then they feel like they're the only ones struggling with it and they feel embarrassed or they feel alone or isolated. And... um Going to therapy actually might be, it's, it's not really a weakness. It's probably something that I think it's like one in five people around you are struggling with. It's just, yes. we don't talk about it because it's considered a weakness. Um, Brene Brown has a lot of research out about vulnerability mm-hmm. and how vulnerability um, breeds vulnerability and how when we're vulnerable about what we're struggling with, it frees other people up to be vulnerable. Yeah. So I think that vulnerability can break the stigma as well. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I love Brene Brown's work, yeah. both uh, on yeah. an individual level and as a leadership level. Oh, yes. Like like these, the things that she talks about and teaches are things that I never talked about or was taught going through any of my. Uh, master's degrees or my doctoral program, none of that stuff, right? It was all about doing, doing, doing. And I think Brene really takes us back to who are we being and starting from being. And she talks about risk and some of these concepts too. Yeah. Uh, Her, the gift of imperfection book. She talks about a lot of these concepts too in that book. That's a great book. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so thank you for kind of helping us break down some of those barriers. We talked a little bit about the benefits. Um, Tell me again, who would be your ideal client? Who is your favorite challenge? Uh, Maybe let me rephrase that. What is your favorite challenge uh, to address? Hmm. I I think it's a process, but I think... My favorite client is a client who maybe comes in a little guarded or comes in a little bit um, hesitant and unsure or uncertain. And then throughout the therapy process, you can see those walls breaking down and you can see that vulnerability start to happen. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like their story starts really being told. Right. And they realize that they're in a safe place. And that they're not being judged and they're not being that someone genuinely and authentically wants to walk through that struggle with them. Like that's my favorite type of client is one that just has a lot of healing with that's the emotional safe aspect of therapy. 
isn't it amazing that you get to do that with people, right? Like, again, going back to that witnessing of witnessing um, them letting go of all the things that they need and want to let go of so that they can experience more of who they really are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Both personally having been on that other side, you know, on and on and on, right. Over and over and over again. And, you know, to see that happen with my clients as well. I mean, that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. And it sounds like that keeps you in your, that's aligned with your dream as well. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, Stacey, I really appreciate the, this conversation, not only about the business side of things, but also then on your delivery of the services and what you can do for others. So before we go, tell us again where we can find you. Yes. So um, our website is www.stillwatersllc.com. And if you click on um, the About Us tab, you can read a little bit more about our mission statement. Um, if you click on the counselors tab, you can see a bio of all of our therapists and who's accepting new clients, who isn't, what our availability is like, um, what insurance companies we're in network with, all that's on the website. Wonderful. And if you had one bit of maybe advice or maybe just a message of love to those people today who are listening to this and are kind of on that fence, what would you say to them? I think... If something is being stirred in you to delve into whatever it is that you're struggling with, it's probably stirring within you for a reason. And going back to risk, like taking that risk and maybe using that website that I mentioned and just really taking your time and trying to find a therapist that seems like a good fit and just doing initial consultation, just seeing how it goes. It might be a really safe place for you that could have long-term growth from it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Stacy, for sharing your passion uh, and your story with us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.